Numerous reports indicate that manufacturing is emerged as the favored target of ransomware groups and hackers. In response, a new report from Industrial Media discusses the evolution of industrial cybersecurity, its current state, and the tactics hackers are using, including phishing schemes, malware, and ransomware attacks. It also details solutions in Army manufacturers with the knowledge and resources needed to win more fights on this highly complex and ultra-competitive battlefield. Download the industrial sector's new battlefield by going to manufacturing.net backslash cyber. Hi, I'm Jeff Ranke, Editorial Director of Manufacturing.net and Manufacturing Business Technology. Welcome to Security Breach. Today's episode offers some new takes on a familiar topic, the roller coaster-like dynamics of ransomware attacks. One of the latest updates comes via Cover in their Ransomware Threat Landscape Report for the first half of 2023. The firm found that while the number of reported ransomware attacks was down, manufacturing remains atop the most attacked sectors, with nearly one out of every five ransomware attacks focusing on the industrial sector and nearly 60% of targeted companies registering less than $50 million in annual revenues. The report also found a collection of the usual suspects amongst the most active ransomware-as-a-service groups. With Black Basta, Black Cat, Lockbit, and Royal leading the way, the top 10 bad actors accounted for 87% of attacks during the first half of 2023, and the top three groups, Lockbit, Black Cat, and Klopp, accounting for more than half of all attacks. Just as concerning as the high-profile target that manufacturing represents is that numerous ransomware attacks were attributed to zero-day and one-day vulnerabilities. This means that in several instances, the bad guys still know more about what's going on within your OT system than you or your technology partners. This is supported by data from Fortinet showing that the detection of ransomware attacks has dropped from 22% five years ago to 13% in the first half of this year. Fortinet speculates that this decrease in detection doesn't indicate that ransomware activity is decreasing, but that these attacks have become more concentrated, more sophisticated, and capable of evolving more quickly to exploit some of those aforementioned vulnerabilities. To help us dive more deeply into these new and constantly changing ransomware dynamics is the author of the aforementioned report, Guy Proper. Guy is a data analyst at Cover, a leading provider of cyber risk management solutions, and our guest for today's episode. Guy, thanks for joining us today, and welcome to Security Breach. So, you know, really got a lot of wonderful information out of the ransomware threat landscape report that you put out, that you were the author of. Just kind of curious, in going through that, there was a ton of data, but was there anything that kind of stood out or, or maybe even surprised you in putting that together? Um, actually, yeah, there was, uh, there were like one of two things, one or two things that uh, surprised me as I was uh, analyzing the data and writing the report. The first thing that was really surprising was that the, um, the top actors, we, we found the top 10 actors for the first half of 2023. Um, so they were responsible for a really large percentage of attacks during that period. It was like, I think we had 87%. Um, so that was really surprising. I didn't think the landscape was so centralized. Uh, and the second thing that relates to that is that the top actor, which was Lockbit, it was, it had like a huge amount of attacks. I don't remember the exact number, but I think it was like 30 something percent. Wow. Just one actor. Um, so, so that was really surprising. Uh, the other thing that was surprising is that there are, are the most, um, 
the most active groups, they're actually active for a very long time. Uh, we, we profiled that by checking their first known attack from our data um, and their last known attack, which could be uh, at the time of the report. Um, and I don't remember the average time, but there were many groups with a lifespan of two years. I think there was one with even three years. Um, and that's surprising because there's more government and law enforcement activity around ransomware. So I didn't think that that one group could stay for so long um, active, but I have a thought about this. Um, maybe the groups keep the same, you know, the same brand, Yeah. Um, but they're actually different people. Uh, I don't know, but okay. that, that might be like a, an option. No, it's interesting. Some of those names that were brought up as sort of the, the top 10 or the, the leading attackers, definitely we're familiar with those folks in the industrial sector. Lockbit in particular, they've, uh, they've been a nemesis for some time. Uh, was there anybody else sort of on the report that caught your eye as sort of a, a fast mover, somebody who's been doing more lately? Um, well, there are some names that have been around for a while, and, and also they have been very, very active. Uh, one group is Cloth. Yeah. Um, that's been active for a very long time and they're still like really, really active uh, attacking a lot of companies. Um, and there are newer actors which are um, have been really active in the first half of this year, uh, Play and Royal Ransomware. Um, they come to mind. Absolutely. Royal's another one we're definitely all too familiar with here on the industrial side. So, you know, ransomware's had sort of an, it's almost like a roller coaster type of trend. You know, in the industrial sector particularly, we saw 2020, 2021, first half of 22, ransomware attacks were skyrocketing. Then they started to fall off a little bit. Maybe there's been a little bit of increase lately. What do you think maybe you would attribute to some of this up and down sort of trending for the quantity of, uh, of ransomware attacks? So um, I actually have to start by saying I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't have like a very good reason for it, but I can think of, of a few things that might cause this uh, wave pattern. Um, my first reason is a bit of a disappointing one. Just as a data person, I look at a lot of data and you know it could just be a coincidence. <laughs> Um, and then we try to explain it, but, uh, there are some things which might influence, um, attack patterns. One is, um, holiday season that comes to mind like Christmas and Thanksgiving. Uh, I know that during that time, attackers focus a lot more on consumers and on payment sites because there's a lot of online ordering and it's just, um, a good way to make money for, for attackers at this time. So if we see a drop during that time, then that might be, might be the cause. Okay. Um, I don't have any other like very good reasons for that. Okay. You know, one of the things that we've heard a lot about too is the reticence for a lot of companies to disclose that they were the victim of a ransomware attack. Do you see a lot of that coming into it? Is that, is that frustrating as somebody who's looking at a lot of this data and maybe knowing I'm, I might not be getting the full data set here to really assess things? So one of the things that we noticed, we have a separate research on this, is that there is a big reporting delay uh, due to... Um, this exactly. Um, yeah. There are many events that happened and 
I don't remember how long the average delay is, but I think it's uh, a few months okay. um, that it takes companies to, to report uh, an attack. But I have to say that I think for the last several months, I've seen a lot more companies acknowledging that they have been attacked by ransomware and acknowledging it pretty quickly. Um, I think even if you look one year back, um, companies usually didn't acknowledge quickly that they suffered a cyber attack. Um, and that was only based on, on rumors. Uh, and sometimes they acknowledged they suffered a, a cyber attack, but they didn't say a ransomware attack. It could have taken, I don't know, two or three weeks at, at best. And now it's, it's very quick. So that's, um, that's a very good trend. It helps. Yeah. Um, fight ransomware and it helps also companies deal with the effects of, of a ransomware attack. Absolutely. Are you aware of any factors that might be driving people to announce those things more quickly? I know we're seeing a lot more supply chain interlinks that maybe you have to because those impacts, if it's impacting a manufacturing facility, it's also impacting the folks delivering goods, it's impacting suppliers and so on. Is there some of that dynamic in place or might there be other things that are that are in play? So I think that's one thing. Um, it's very hard to hide ransomware attacks if uh, they affect enough people. Uh, so it's better for you to uh, say you were attacked. And uh, I think it actually, a ransomware attack can really hurt a company's reputation. Yeah. And if you're quick to announce it, I think it might actually boost your reputation uh, hmm. and not hurt it. Again, I don't have any data to support this, but <laughs> it's just based on, on my experience. Um, and the second thing, which I think might be influencing this, is there is increased uh, regulation around cyber attacks. Um, I think that in the US, companies have to report a ransomware attack. Uh, I'm pretty sure about public companies, but I'm not sure about um, non-public companies. So mm -hmm. that's something that is driving them to report uh, for sure, because they could, be, they could be fined for that. Yeah, there's definitely regulatory efforts around those that are considered um, critical infrastructure when you're looking at utilities and medical facilities and things like that. And it's it's definitely bleeding into what we cover our audience in the industrial sector. Uh, you know, you bring up government involvement. Do you feel like that's a positive thing? Do you think we need more of that? Um, I feel like it's a tricky question because I would <laughs> say yes. Yeah. But I think the issue with the government involvement in any in anything, not specifically for cyber, is that you don't want the government to get too involved and yeah. uh, limit limit the business or the market. But but I think at the level we're seeing now, where governments understand that um, cyber attacks are, are a problem and uh, they have to be regulated in some way. Um, I think that's a, that's a really good thing and it's really helpful. And also there's a lot of government agencies in the, in the US, uh, such as uh, I can think of uh, CISA, for example, yeah. um, that are helping to um, standardize many, um, many things that have not been standardized. And another good example of this is, is uh, MITRE. I hope I'm saying it mm -hmm. correctly. I'm not sure. Yep. But yep. So I'm wondering too, Guy, you know, when we look at, when you're breaking down a lot of these ransomware attacks, did you see any specific exploits or tactics, things that were sort of repeated that people might be able to take away to help for better um, set up their defenses? So I think um, 
the two most common attack vectors that I saw um, were compromised credentials and um, a company having exposed internet ser servers exposed to the internet, which uh, are not, I would say, are not properly secured. This could mean many different things. Um, and the the worst combination, the worst thing is a combination of both having uh, exposed credentials, uh, for example, could be employee credentials, and having um, exposed uh, RDP or, or, or VPN servers, which uh, you might be able to use these exposed credentials to, yeah. to get into them and attack the company. So that's the, um, the first thing I would look at. And I think it's it's not easy to solve, but I think it's relatively easy to monitor. Yeah. Um, you can know if any of your employees uh, had credentials exposed. There's uh, websites that do this for free. Um, and regarding your uh, internet exposed servers, then that's a bit harder, but you should monitor um, access to these servers and uh, hopefully see any access which is uh, strange or any brute force attempts to try and try and guess passwords there yeah you, you mentioned you kind of come back to the attackers a little bit you mentioned them previously do you see them taking any new tactics or, or different approaches to these these ransomware attacks that are maybe new and we know they're constantly evolving but are you seeing any new tactics that they're trying to utilize so one thing i was actually thinking about as i wrote the report it's not very new but i think it's worth uh worth mentioning if you look uh, probably even two years back, um, I don't think people were really thinking that um, ransomware actors are going to be exploiting zero days. Yeah. Um, I mean, it did happen in the past, but it was like a really rare event. Um, and now it's not very common, but it is becoming more common that ransomware actors uh, are able to exploit zero days and not, uh, not one days, which have already been published. Um, that a good example of that was uh, with the move it file transfer attack that happened. Uh, I think it was in June. Yep. Um, and that was pretty a pretty effective attack where you just use one, or actually it was several zero days, but it was for the same software, and you can attack a lot of different users of that software. No, the move it uh, definitely raised a lot of eyebrows in terms of how how quickly the attackers were able to take advantage of of that vulnerability. You know, when we look at ransomware too, Guy, and I'd be curious, you know, as a, as a guy who's crunching the data, are you seeing more people paying the ransomware? Are people more reticent to pay it? Are they going through other routes? And maybe do you have an opinion in terms of when you should or shouldn't pay the ransom? So uh, this research actually didn't, it didn't look into ransom payments, uh, but from the data that I was seeing that, that isn't in the, in the research, it seems like people um, don't pay the ransom as much as they used to. Okay. Uh, I think it's still a pretty high payment rate. I, I think less than half pay the ransom, but uh, just, you know, I'm, I'm not sure about these numbers, but mm -hmm. from what I remember, things that I looked at, it was around 40%. Okay. Um, and if I have an opinion about this, uh, I think that, you know, in an ideal world, um, it would be best not to pay the ransom. 
because if enough companies didn't pay ransom, then uh, ransomware couldn't survive because there would just not be a reason for them to keep doing this. Right. Um, but when you suffer an attack and it uh, interrupts your business and you have to make a quick decision, sometimes it's more cost effective for you to, to pay the ransom and get your systems running again and hope that the attacker uh, keeps keeps their word and restores your files and doesn't attack you again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, lots of wild cards in play there if you do go that route of paying the ransom in terms of did we kick them out? Are they going to hit us again? Will we get our data back? All of those types of, of variables come into play. So, Guy, we've talked a lot about the bad guys. Let's talk about some of the good guys here. What can you tell us a little bit about Cover and the work that you do? So Cover, um, the main thing that Cover does is quantify cyber risk. Uh, I guess on a very high level, what that means is we look at two things. We have a lot of data on cyber trends. Um, and the ransomware report is a good example. It's like a zoom into one area that we look at. Um, that's one half. And the second half that we look at is a specific company that we're scanning right now. So we combine many de details about the company, the company infrastructure, uh, the company technologies, uh, industry, things like that, with the cyber trends data that we have. And then we model the risk of that company. and. The, the most important thing is that um, we show risk as a dollar value, um, which I think um, is much easier to grasp than many other solutions that show uh, cyber risk, either as different risk grades or as different colors of risk. Um, and that's for two reasons. One reason is that uh, we all understand money. Um, it's easy for us to quantify it, um, and that's how executives and board members look at other types of risk. So there's no reason for them to look at cyber risk in a different in a different way. So that that's one reason. And the second reason is that if you show risk as something that's not absolute, uh, say as a color or as a risk level. Uh, um, different companies can interpret this in different ways. They could say, oh, so our uh, orange or yellow level is, I don't know, $5 million. And another company could say it's $15 million, And they would still be seeing sort of the same result. Sure. Uh, and and in our product, we just show it as, as a dollar value. So it's, it's accurate for every company. Interesting. You know, I, I know, um, you know, in your role, it's more about looking at the data that's coming in and in this instance specific to ransomware. But I'm just wondering, you know, overall, when we look at cybersecurity, it's becoming more and more prominent throughout society and especially in the industrial sector that we serve. Do you see any other big trends or, or things that are happening that could really impact things maybe over the next year, year and a half or so? So it's very hard to um, predict these things. Um, but I do have a few thoughts um, that I think will have, have started and will grow in the next year or year and a half. Uh, the first thing, uh, and it's a buzzword and everyone's saying it, so I kind of hate saying it, but uh, language models. Sure. Um, uh, I use them actually in my work now as a developer, uh, and they're very helpful. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that if I use them, um, then 
uh, malware writers can use them as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they can use them, first of all, to, um, to make their routine tasks quicker. Um, they could uh, write write code with these uh, language models. They don't. They're not going to write all of their file, but some pieces of the code are simple, uh, and they can stop writing them. Uh, or they could uh, look for targets better. They could filter targets better with language models. Uh, so that's one thing which I, I think uh, will have like a direct effect on yeah. on the threat landscape. Um, and one more thing, which, which we have seen for several years, but I think it's becoming uh, more common is attacks through third party tools, like the move it attack. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's just, if you're able to get this product that many people use and you're able to exploit it, uh, it's a very, very effective attack vector. Um, and it can be very, um, I don't have the, very cost effective. That's what I was trying to say yeah. for attackers to research these types of attacks. So that's as yeah. hard as it is to predict the future. Uh, <laughs> I think. No, we, you know, it's interesting. You bring up a couple of things that we have talked a lot about um, with with a lot of other experts in the field. You know, most recently we were talking about some of these cloud-based apps, whether it be just be Gmail or or um, you know some of the Microsoft products. And you can, it's very easy to upload malware in there. People don't look at it as they look at it as a safe. Um, safe area, safe space or whatever to get information from. They don't look at the, the link so much and it's very easy to, uh, to get infected that way just through something like you just kind of identified. You know, looking at the language models and obviously it's getting a lot more attention due to things like chat GPT and that leads into conversations with AI. Do you feel like with artificial intelligence, you know, it can be used by the bad guys. It can also be used by the good guys, right? I mean, are there some opportunities that we can leverage there from a defensive posture as well? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, like the bottom line for me at the at the mo at the current stage of language models is that they're very good at saving time on on simple or routine tasks. So so that applies to both sides. Um, actually, in in my previous job, I worked for a cybersecurity company as a, as a researcher, uh, and. Uh, much of the work there is, is analyzing malware samples and seeing if they're uh, actually malware or not and how they act. I think much of this can be um, done by, by language models, which can probably do the initial filtering uh, for the researchers and save a lot of time. Uh, they can also do the same for um, the SOC analysts who are flooded with information. Yeah. Uh, and then it can help them understand uh, which threats are more interesting than others and should be should be looked at first. And uh, just like it can write code for the bad guys, it can write code for the good guys and save a lot yeah. of time. Uh, hopefully, um, you know, not getting us fired in the future. <laughs> <laughs> no, great points, guy. Before we go, anything else you'd like to add or share with the audience? Um. I would actually like to maybe reiterate the points from the first question you asked me about what surprised me and say that, that it actually did surprise me. I've been looking at ransomware for many years um, and I knew there are a lot of actors and new actors come in very often and then some actors drop. 
Um, but I didn't think that these names that we see uh, so much in the news, that they have so much um, control over the threat landscape. That's just a, a big surprise. Guy, thanks so much for joining us. To learn more about the work of, that Cover is doing, you can check them out at cover.com. That's K-O-V-R-R.com. And thank you for joining us today. To catch up on past episodes, you can go to manufacturing.net, IEN.com, or mbtmag.com. You can also check Security Breach out wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple, Amazon, and Overcast. And if you have a cybersecurity story or topic that you'd like to have us explore on Security Breach, you can reach me at Jeff at IEN.com. For Guy Proper, I'm Jeff Ranke, and this is Security Breach.